Last week, uh, if you were here, uh, you saw or heard that I finished preaching through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And that is our normal diet here at Proclamation, is to preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We'll often uh, rotate back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament in an effort to preach the whole counsel of God. The church is built on the Word of God, and so we preach the Word of God. But today, I have a one-week topical sermon on fasting. Why? I have one primary reason and two secondary reasons that I'll share with you this morning. First, the primary reason. Fasting was actually referenced four times throughout the book of Daniel. At least four times. In Daniel chapter 10, you might remember that Daniel was fasting when he received this word from the Lord, his fourth and final vision. So in chapter 10, we read these words. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel... In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth for the full three weeks. So there was a a fasting from certain kinds of food that Daniel was doing, and then he received this vision. In Daniel chapter 9, we had Daniel's great prayer. He had read the word of God. He understood that the 70 years of exile were, were nearly up. And if God's people would repent and they would pray, the Lord would rescue and and return them to the land. And verse 3 of chapter 9 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. That famous story also includes King Darius fasting. The Bible says, Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So there the fast might not only have been from food, but from diversions, other things. He didn't want Daniel to die, and so he spent the night fasting. And then in Daniel chapter 1, one of the very first things that we learn about Daniel as he is taken into exile is that he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so Daniel engaged in this fast from certain kinds of food. So there's this thread of fasting throughout the book of Daniel. And I wanted to come back to that and preach a sermon on fasting. So that's kind of the the primary reason. But there are also two supporting reasons. And one is merely circumstantial or practical. We have finished one series. And to start a new series, I like to have some consistency where I can preach several sermons back to back to back, kind of get us focused in on that new book that we're studying. I don't have that right now. So I have today, and then next week we have that special service, Colin's ordination service, which we look forward to. The week after that, I will be at our denomination's annual general assembly, and I won't have time to prepare a sermon, but I'll come back, Lord willing, and then that Sunday, Colin, in his first Sunday as an ordained pastor, will preach and also administer the Lord's Supper. We look forward to that. And then I will go on sabbatical once again. You might remember I had three months of sabbatical. I took two months last year and saved a month for this year, and that will be throughout the most of the month of July. So, so I have this one, one week to preach, in a sense, a standalone sermon, and fasting is going to fill that gap for us. And then there's this other reason. When have you ever heard me teach or preach on fasting? And all our years together. It's not something that we talk about very much. It's probably not something that we practice very much. Although if you do, 
and we don't know about it, it's probably a good thing, right? From what we just read that Jesus had said. But I do think it's something that we all can grow in, and so that's why I'm preaching on fasting today. Now, to start, we'll ask a simple question. What is fasting? At the most basic level, in the scriptures, we see fasting as a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So it's voluntary, it's abstaining from food, or perhaps other things, we'll talk about that, but it's also connected with a spiritual purpose. So on a deeper level, level fasting is how we as God's people will, will proclaim or will say or experience food is not my God. Food is not my comfort. Food is not the basis of my happiness. God is. And so we use food rightly when God is at the center of our lives, not food, or other things that we might put in place of food. So the basic fundamental definition of fasting is to abstain from food or some other good gift from God for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. Now, having said that, I want to clearly state two warnings as we begin and as we think about this topic. First of all, we do not fast to manipulate God. We do not fast to manipulate our sovereign God. Although we may fast during times of desperate need, it it is a way that we can humbly seek God's provision. We can seek an answer to prayer. We can seek his guidance. But it's not an algebra equation. X equals Y. Oh, fasting equals get what I want. That's not how it works. That's not what it is. And second... We do not earn God's favor by fasting. So here's another warning. If this is on your mind, oh, I can fast to get what I want, or I can fast so that God will love me more. That's not what fasting is all about. We don't fast to impress God, to earn his favor or his acceptance. We know that that comes only through his son, Jesus and the good news of the gospel. No one, not a single person, can make themselves right with God by what they do. That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. So fasting is a response to the gospel. It's not an end in itself. We don't fast for the sake of fasting just to say we did it or to improve our self-discipline. No, we fast as a way to show our love for God, to seek God. I mentioned this Briefly, but fasting is also not limited to simply abstaining from food. That's probably how we normally think about it. That's how we normally see it in the scriptures. But that's not what it's only limited to. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about fasting. It should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So abstaining from anything that's legitimate in and of itself for a spiritual purpose purpose. Donald Whitney has a great book on the spiritual disciplines, and in his book he has a chapter on fasting, and he lists 10 spiritual purposes that you might engage in when you're involved in a fast. I'll just list them for us. So think about these. These are spiritual purposes you might associate with fasting. To strengthen prayer, to seek God's guidance, to express grief, to seek deliverance or protection to express repentance and a return to God. We saw that in Daniel. To humble oneself before God. To express concern for the work of God. To minister to the needs of others. To overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. And then finally, to express love and worship to God. 
And it's that last purpose that I want to focus on today, to express love and, pur- love and worship to God. And we see this in Luke chapter 2 with the prophetess Anna. You might remember the description of Anna. She had only been married for seven years, and then she was a widow. And now she's 84 years old, and she has been waiting all of her life for the birth of the Messiah. And Luke tells us, this is when Luke is giving us the account of the birth of Jesus. And he tells us that Anna did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. She had likely devoted over 50 years of her life, night and day, to a worship of God that was characterized by prayer and fasting. So this was one way that her love for God, her worship of God was expressed, was through fasting. And so, beloved, fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God himself. Matthew Henry said that fasting serves to put an edge upon devout affections. That's what we want to consider this morning. How do we sharpen our affections for God? And when we think of fasting in this way, perhaps abstaining from other things that are legitimate in and of themselves, And the hopes, the prayer, that God would deepen our desire for him. I'm convinced that we all need to fast at some times from some things. Maybe it would help if you would think about what you want more than anything. What do you want more than anything? What affects your happiness, your peace, your contentment? Last week, uh, I encouraged us not to be captivated by lesser glories. Don't let your heart be captivated by the glories of this world, but only by the glory of God. But what are some of those lesser glories, these good gifts from God that might captivate your heart? What do you do over and over and over again that you can't seem to stop? What do you do over and over and over again that you cannot live without? Or what do you turn to when you don't want to think, you don't want to feel, when you need a diversion or a distraction, something to keep the pain or the sorrow at arm's length. For many, it is food. And so food is a natural thing that we can abstain from as part of a fast. For many, it's food. It might be sugar. It might be coffee. It might be alcohol. In today's world, it might be social media or entertainment or streaming movies or videos, or it might be reading or shopping or exercise or sports or work. It could be any number of things. But what do you desire above all else? What do you love most? For many of us, it's the approval of man. We want people to affirm us. We want people to think well of us. And that's one of the things that Jesus addresses here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, if you fast to be seen by men, that's your reward. So if that's what you want, you can do that, but it's not worth it. That's not what fasting is all about. So basically Jesus is saying, don't do it for that purpose. It's not worth it. Having said that, there's a difference between fasting to be seen and being seen while fasting. There's a difference. And it's all in the heart the motive behind it. 
Asaph in Psalm 73 asked that famous question, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Beloved, can you say that? Is that the desire of your heart? Do you want to be able to say that? You know, all of God's children, there's a part of us where, yes, that is the longing of our heart. And yet we also recognize there's this gap. There's this gap between this longing to be able to say, there's nothing I desire in heaven and earth besides God and the reality of our lives. And we see that we chase after his good gifts. And so we ask God to give us one heart, an undivided heart for him. And, And I believe that fasting is a good gift from God that can help us set our desires and our affections upon God himself. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and he says that there are, there are some people who hear the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. The desires for other things come in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The desires for other things. That's the the enemy that we are fighting against. We guard our hearts from being captivated by lesser glories, from the desire for other things. These lesser glories, the, the desire for other things that we might fast from, it's important to note that we're not talking about vices. We're not talking about things that are evil. All of those things are unacceptable for the believer. We're talking about things that are good, good gifts from God. Basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing, show binging, internet surfing, social media scrolling, shopping, exercising, collecting, talking, and on and on and on. And all of them have the potential to become deadly substitutes for God himself. And here we have perhaps this little used weapon. Fasting can help us in fighting against these in order to increase our desire for God, our contentment in God. So here's my aim this morning. It's similar to my aim every week. My aim is that God would work through the preached word to build you up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. That he would work through our time together to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Specifically today, that we will see fasting as a gift from God that can help us. So that we would all make use of the gift of fasting as the Holy Spirit leads. And as the Holy Spirit enables us. So that we would indeed taste and see that the Lord is good. We all want that as God's people. To taste and see that the Lord is good. So that by fasting, we might feast more upon Jesus. That fasting would dull our appetites for the gifts of God and intensify our appetite for God himself. That by fasting we would love the things of this world less and love the creator and king and savior of the world more. That's my aim. That's what I want to see happen in my own life. Because I need that in my own life. And that's what I want to see happen in your lives. That we would find what this world cannot offer the goodness of Jesus, that we would be satisfied in him because he is all we need. Amen?
So that's my aim. Now my next question is this. Should we fast? Or is it commanded? Our text for today is Matthew chapter 6. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're, we're diving right into the middle of a much larger context. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the sermon where Jesus is addressing our personal righteousness. So Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that there are three parts to this section of the sermon. Jesus addresses giving and praying and fasting. Or you might say our relationship with others, our relationship with God, and our relationship with ourselves. And chapter 6 begins, Jesus gives us encouragement, don't give to be seen by men. And then he moves on and he teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And he also says, don't pray to be seen by men. Pray in secret. And then we have this section on fasting. Now think about it. Think about his sermon and think about our practice. Every week, we encourage you to give. I just did it a few moments ago. And we have organized ways for you to give and for us to distribute those gifts. Every week, we pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we encourage you to pray. And we have prayer meetings. And we have prayer warriors. And it's an excellent thing that we do as a church. But what do we have in regards to fasting? Not much. Nothing organized. Now having studied this this past week, I am convinced that fasting is one of the forgotten, neglected gifts from God for our good in my life and even in our church tradition. And I, I, that, would, that would be my fault, right? I'm not putting that on you. I'm saying I'm discovering this is something that I think is missing from my life, perhaps from the life of the church that could be a great blessing to us. But I do think perhaps one of the reasons it's so neglected is because it is optional. Sort of. Sort of. We ask the question, should we fast? Does the Bible command it? And I would answer like this. You can fast. It's a privilege to fast. It would be a blessing to engage in a fast. Fasting is a gift from God for your good. The Bible describes God's people doing it. Jesus expected his followers to do so. And yet, we don't have a clear, direct command from God where we can say, here it is, do it. Now we do know the Old Testament people of God were commanded to fast once a year when they celebrated the Day of Atonement. The people of God today no longer have that as a binding command. Why? Because Jesus Christ was indeed the Passover lamb. He came and fulfilled that law. He made that complete final sacrifice on our behalf. And yet, if you read the New Testament, you will find that Jesus himself fasted. You will find after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, still the church fasted. Paul and the elders fasted. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast. And then he gives them instructions for how to do so. So why would he do that if he didn't believe there was some benefit to fasting, if it wasn't something that he was encouraging his people to do. He also, and he preached on this two weeks ago, that was intentional, setting us up for today. He also told his disciples that when he went away, then they would fast. So there's this expectation from Jesus. There's his own, ex his own example. And then we also have instructions from Jesus on fasting. So if somebody wanted to press you, is it directly commanded? You might say, no. 
But does Jesus encourage you to fast? You would have to say yes. And it's probably a good idea to do things that Jesus encourages us to do. We trust him. Therefore, our good. It may not be a have to, but it is a get to. A gift from God for our good, something that we can all benefit from. But, hear this as well. Is it just another thing that you have to do? Are you sitting there thinking, oh no, here's another thing that's going to make me feel guilty. That's going to fill me with shame. I already don't give enough. I already don't pray enough. I already don't read the Bible enough. I already don't witness enough. Is this just adding to my list? No, it is not. I want to encourage you. This is not something you do to earn God's favor. It's not something you have to do. You are free to do this as often as you want or as little as you want. But I do want you to see and believe that fasting is a tool that you can use to help you grow in Christ. It's an opportunity. And having all the right tools makes all the difference. We've seen that over the last year as we've been in this huge remodel project at our home. Having the right tools makes all the difference. So this is a gift from God. He won't love you more or less based on how often or how good you are at it. But he will use it to shape your affections towards him. To help you love him more and trust him and be satisfied in him. And I have a huge confession to make. I am not saying this based on my own experience. Because my experience with fasting is very limited. But I am saying this based on my study of the word of God. This past week, what I believe it comes to say. And I do pray that a year from now, or even five years from now, my own experience will be different. And yours will be as well. That we will prove this to be true together. Now, I want to encourage you in in some specific ways that I believe fasting can benefit us, God's people, today. When Jesus gives his instructions on fasting in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he follows it up with these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One way that fasting can benefit us is it will help us lay up treasures in heaven. It will help us lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the evenings, Colin is preaching through various Proverbs right now. So this is not the one for tonight, but a well-known one is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Beloved, are you keeping your heart? Are you guarding your heart? What are you giving your heart to? There may be some things that are good gifts from God that you don't want to even nibble at because you know they might captivate your heart. You might begin to love them too much and they could draw you away from God. Fasting is a means of guarding your heart, of laying up treasure in heaven. When you voluntarily abstain from things that may capture your heart, things that make the treasures of this world more desirable to you, that very act of abstaining can awaken your desire for God. 
One person said it like this, the denial of our stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our souls, our heart's appetite for God. So what passions, what appetites, what loves are we feeding? And as we think about this, it's important that we know that fasting and feasting go together. Fasting and feasting go together. Remember, a Christian fast is one that has a spiritual purpose. It's not to lose weight. So don't go out of here thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna, oh great, I wanted to lose weight anyway. That's not what we're talking about. When you fast, you abstain from one thing, but you replace it by feasting on something else. Feasting on God in some way. So perhaps instead of whatever you would have been doing, maybe you are praying or meditating on God's word, memorizing his word, singing of the glory of Jesus Christ, or serving others, or focusing on obeying the word of God. Fasting and feasting go together. And fasting is one way that God can help us lay up treasure in heaven. Fasting can also help us serve one master. If you have your Bibles and they're open to Matthew chapter 6, you can see that further on down in this sermon, Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So some of us might want to consider a spending fast for a determined amount of time. Maybe aside from the necessities of life, Maybe we don't spend. Maybe we don't buy. We, and the purpose it would be not to save money. Oh yeah, now I'm going to have all this money. I can buy something else I want later. No, but to show that money and that material possessions are not our master. And perhaps replacing that spending by giving the money we would have, we would have spent to support, to advance God's kingdom in some way, to meet the needs of someone in our lives. David prayed in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Or give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Fasting will help give us an undivided heart. It can help us love and serve one master, our one true master, God himself. You know, if we think about this, we will know and admit and realize that the weakness of our hunger for God we all would probably agree that we need a stronger desire for God, a stronger love for God, a stronger passion for God. When I first started in ministry, when I was 22, one of the quotes that stuck with me was from Zinzendorf. It said, I have but one passion. It is he, he alone. And that was the prayer of my heart. And I still don't have that. That's a longing I have. I want that to be true of my life. And maybe it ebbs and flows. But we all can admit this. But the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory. It's not because there's something lacking in God, but it's because we treat him like he's just one more option on the buffet table. And by the time we get to him, our plate is already full. You know, when I was a youth pastor, one of the fun activities we used to do was we would have progressive dinners. And I'm sure you're familiar with them. You, you go to different homes, have, have an appetizer at one home and have the main course somewhere else and uh, dessert somewhere else. Well, we did some of those, but then we put a twist on it. We did a fast food progressive dinner. I know it's a terrible idea, isn't it? 
So we'd gather, and, and part of the fun was just gathering teenagers in the van and driving around and enjoying that time together. But we would go to McDonald's and get French fries and Burger King and get hamburgers and Wendy's and get Frosties. You know, we, we would do, go to all these different places and just stuff ourselves with food that's terrible. And then we'd, we'd come back to the church and we'd gather around. And I, I never actually did this. I wish I had, but I would just ask the kids to imagine it. Okay, we're, we're back down in the youth room. We've just eaten all this food and we're gathered around. And then I would say, okay, now, now just imagine, what if we came down here and spread out before us was your favorite home-cooked meal? What if, what if there was this huge Thanksgiving feast spread out here before us? How many of you would want to eat it? Nobody. Nobody would want to eat it. Why? Not because it's not good. In fact, it, it, looks, it would look better than what we just ate. It would smell better than what we just ate. It would certainly taste better than what we just ate. And it would be better for us than what we just ate. But why wouldn't we want it? Because we were full. Because we have limited palates, a limited capacity to enjoy And we were filled to the brim. And this was a parable for our spiritual lives. How many of us have no room, no hunger for God because we have filled up on the things of this world? And so fasting forces us to ask repeatedly, do I hunger for God? Am I satisfied in him? Is Jesus, is Jesus my life? Or am I content with his gifts? Am I comfortable with pleasure? You know, John Piper asks a great, great question. He says, would you be satisfied with heaven if God was not there? If you could have all the comforts in life that you wanted, all your friends were there, perfect health, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, all the comforts you could imagine, if you could have all of that without God, would you be content? That's what fasting is getting at. What is our soul truly satisfied in? Well, one more benefit. Fasting will help us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. At the end of Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Beloved, fasting will help us do this. It will help us, as Peter says in his first letter, set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are encouraged to do that. We need to do that, to set our hope, not on the things of this world, but fully on the revelation that's coming when Jesus returns. I need this help. I need this hope. I need this focus. And beloved, so do you. So when do we fast or how do we fast? I want to close by giving us a general encouragement and then a specific invitation. So when do we fast? Very simply, as the Holy Spirit leads. As the Holy Spirit leads. I would encourage you to prayerfully consider making fasting a regular part of your walk with Christ. Not as I tell you to do it, but as the Holy Spirit leads. So here's one sermon on fasting. I think it's my first one in our eight years together. It's it's an introduction. We're barely, barely scratching the surface. I would commend to you to study it to consider this practice for yourself and to fast as the Holy Spirit directs you. I would encourage you to obey the guidance of the Spirit through his word. Now, it does help to start small and to have a plan, just like with any other habit. So maybe you consider, I'll go one meal without food. 
or one day without your phone. Or maybe that doesn't sound like small for some of you. But have a plan and start small. And have a plan for what you will do instead. Remember, we connect it to a spiritual purpose. Fasting and feasting go together. So how will you spend that time? Or where, where will you direct your desire? So, so I tried this this week. Wednesday, I failed miserably. I had this, okay, I got to try this. I'm going to preach on this. I got to try it. Well, that didn't go very well. Yesterday went a little bit better, but I just thought, okay, every time when I'm abstaining from this one thing, anytime I want it, then I'm going to pray. It could be a simple prayer, but you replace it, and it directs your heart towards God. So have a plan. Are you going to pray? Are you going to meditate on God's word? Are you going to sing to your Savior Jesus? Are you going to serve others? But start small and have a plan. Obey the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the general encouragement. You have this new gift you just opened up on Christmas morning. How are you going to use it? But here's a specific invitation. Join me in fasting this coming weekend to prepare for Colin's ordination service. Now, I'll explain why in just a moment. Not everybody can do this. You know, everybody has different health reasons, so you have to know what what you can or cannot do. And you don't have to do it. Only as the Holy Spirit leads. But in Acts chapter 14, The Bible says this, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. So one thing I did this week is I went through and I read every reference to fasting in the scriptures. And here I saw, here's one place, it happens in other places in the New Testament, when the church gathers and they are appointing elders, they fast. And I thought, why haven't we done that? I want to do that. I don't know why we haven't done it before, but this is an important occasion. So I thought, well, let's do this. Here we are in God's providential timing. Colin's going to be ordained next week as an elder in our church. And we have this opportunity as a church to pray and fast. So here's my suggestion. Again, you, as the Holy Spirit leads, perhaps a meal on Saturday, but I would suggest that you skip breakfast on Sunday And instead of that time eating, pray for Colin. Pray for us as a church. And then come and worship together. And then we can end our fast together with a feast, right? With our fellowship meal. So bring lots of food next week. This is my specific invitation. David prayed in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So really, I'm inviting you not to fast so much, but to feast. To feast on your Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when you fast. He told his followers that when he went away, then they would fast. Are we making use of this good gift from Jesus? Because it will help us not only believe that Jesus is good, but to taste for ourselves, to experience his goodness. It will help us find what this world cannot offer, to be satisfied, to be truly delighted in Christ, the Savior of the world, the only one worth living for, the only one worthy of our devotion and our worship. May we all taste and see that he, and he alone, is good. Amen.